Welcome to Always Listening. We're your hosts. I'm Joel. I'm Jay. And we are always listening. Uh, Jay, uh, we we don't have any follow-up. I mean, or there might be some, but we, we, we've got so many topics to get to, we're going to dive straight into that. I'm calling this thing Podcasting's Cold War, but it ain't so cold, Jay. It got real, real hot, like right after you and I turned the mic off last week. Two things happened back-to-back. First and foremost, Spotify both made moves in court, but then also in the court of public opinion. They actually made an appeal to the European Union because the idea of Spotify getting a favorable decision against an American company in Trump's administration is uh, laughable. <laughs> so uh, they didn't appeal at all to the American government, and and it would be a lot harder too because the nature of anti-competitive laws in the European Union are not about monopoly like they are in the United States, Jay. They're about we want to foster competition. All of the laws are about fostering competition. So if you have a business practice that cuts off competition or chokes competition in some way, the European Union will immediately look at that unfavorably and historically has done so. Microsoft has been smacked down much more by the EU than they ever were by the United States government, even though they were affected by the American government too. Apple is continuously nicked in little ways by the European Union. Uh, different things have changed over the uh, course of the iPhone history, especially as that business has grown and grown because of the uh, effect on the EU. So that was the move, I think, that is going to actually matter long term is what they did in court in the European Union because Apple will likely change their practices worldwide in some way depending upon what that ruling is. But the one that matters most to us in the short term, Jay, Spotify has come out and said Apple is not playing fair, and they are asking people, uh, do they think it's fair? Um, what did you think of this press release? And it's linked, by the way, in the show notes. You can go to alwayslisteningpod.com, uh, click the full episode list there, or, or this link, uh, AOL, uh, excuse me, AL408, and, and find the full press release. Uh, read it yourself. And then, of course, we're going to talk about the response, too. But, Jay, what did you think when you first read this? Yeah, not to get too political, but I fear this is something that will be rather political. And there's another story involving Spotify that will also involve some political viewpoints as well. But to me, I read it differently. And and to and to put it in the simplest way forward and how I sort of read the story was this is don't rent your spot, own it on a much grander level. So to me, if Apple decides tomorrow we're not going to accept Spotify in our app store, that's totally up to Apple. They can totally do that. And Spotify can claim that it's an unfair competitive advantage or whatnot, but Apple made the phone. Apple made the platform. It's Apple's platform that you're using. And in Apple's response, they directly say, Spotify wants to have a free app without it being free. Apple just wants to be paid for the rental space that Spotify happens to be using. And and to me, that is ultimately the answer. If Spotify has a problem with Apple's practices on the Apple phone and the Apple you know, music store, then Spotify needs to go make their own phone and make their own uh, marketplace on their phone. Uh, there is also the Google world and the Android devices, which Spotify hasn't, you know, thrown punches at over there yet either. Um, but Google could do the same thing to them. Android could do the same thing to them. 
Android does do the same thing largely in that they take 30% of, uh, or I believe it's basically the same numbers. If it's an ongoing subscription, it doesn't end up being 30%. It lowers to 15 in the second year. But they take a very large percentage if you make an in-app purchase. I think that's, that's true on Android side as well. The difference on Android is that Android doesn't lock down the ability to give alternate payment methods. So uh, in the Spotify app on iOS... Either, if you're a new customer, if you've never signed up for a Spotify subscription before, the only way that you can pay for it is with an in-app subscription, uh, as according to Apple. Spotify is not allowed to give you a link to their website or even text that says, to sign up as a new member, go to Spotify.com on your browser. There's, there's no, they can't give any suggestion. The Netflix app, for instance, the Netflix app on iOS no longer allows you to sign up as a new account because they don't want to give Apple this money either. The only thing you can do is log into an existing account. If you open Netflix for the first time on your iPhone and you don't have an account, there is a little help button at the top. And if you click that, it gives you a 1-800 number, which you can call. And Netflix literally has people staffing that 1-800 number. And when you call them, you say, uh, hey, I'm, I'm trying to start Netflix on my phone here. And they say, do you have an account, sir? And you say, no, I don't. And they say, okay, you need to open your web browser and go to Netflix.com. And then you can create an account there. And they'll talk you through the process, but they can't put that anywhere in the app. The only way they can do it is by setting up that 1-800 number. Small companies, Jay, cannot, that's not feasible. We can't, we can't run, independent companies cannot run a call base to support that kind of offloading. So you can understand the argument on how effectively the only way to have any payment at all, if you're going to have an app, <clears throat> is to go through Apple's tax. And and I will say, no other payment processor in the world, Jay, would get away with 30% or 15 in the second year. I mean, PayPal is 1% plus, you know, whatever, $10 on 100. I mean, you know, it's like, it's, it's a nominal fee, even if you have thousands and thousands of dollars moving, no payment processor would get away with that. that in, in that regards, it is absurd. Spotify's argument is, it hurts Apple users that want to have an alternative to Apple Music or or any other service when they don't have that option. Or a Kindle user, if I want to buy my books through Kindle, because I used to have Kindle devices or I still have some Kindle devices, but also I read on my iPad, I cannot buy that Kindle book in any simple way using my iPad because of these rules. And again, I understand that that seems anti-competitive, but again, we're not even arguing the merits of the case. What I really want to know from you is, what do you think about a platform as big as Spotify coming up? Because here's the thing. If they take their ball and go home, as you said, and first of all, they won't have to actually create their own phone. They would just move to the web, right? They would create a fully functioning web uh, client that you could log into safari.com and even make a shortcut that goes on your home screen if you wanted to, and you could launch Spotify that way. That would totally work. It's a worse experience though, right? And it would hurt every Apple user that potentially wants to use Spotify ever, as well as hurting Spotify and new user growth. So it would be a lose-lose. I just think how bold to do it in public, like going to court is one thing, but right. to write the press release and to put it out there and and to say, we think this is unfair. And again, you had to know that Apple was going to swing back. Maybe they didn't expect that it would be quite as bold as, as we're going to get to in a minute, but I was just taken aback 
by the gumption. We've been talking about the fact that Spotify is now, but with these recent acquisitions, they're at that Netflix level as far as the Netflix of audio, right? They are one of those companies that's almost too big for acquisition. This is the first example of that power. There needs to be a punishment jar for you even mentioning that. I'm sorry. Well, okay, yeah, Netflix of audio. But but look, I we'll get to the Netflix of podcasting later. I don't I don't believe in that thing. But what I am saying is Netflix is a great example of a company that is now they've raced ahead and they've gotten so big that effectively if you want streaming video of any kind, Netflix is assumed. The others are a bolt-on, right? And and uh, because of that, their user base is so big that the Apples and the Amazons and the Facebooks of the world can't really buy them. Like they couldn't force their way into an acquisition. Netflix isn't in danger. They will maintain themselves as an independent company, probably, at least in the near term. Spotify is now at that position too. Their power in the market and their potential growth in revenue makes it look like, hey, look, they actually made that thing work. We wondered for a long time if music streaming was going to be a future, if it was something that you could do without owning a platform. Spotify's proven they've gotten there. And this is the first move. It remind I mean honestly as a friend of as a fan of politics and and historical politics and like like world history, it reminds me of like what a nation state does after it like it wins its first big battle and then it's like oh yeah and this is our historical territory as well and we're taking it back like we own this island now you know like this is one of those it's a saber rattling move and like oh, i don't know how it's going to turn out but bully i'm excited it's it's definitely saber rattling i just fear i mean there's so many things that you can link this to. I was just listening to Mark Maron's 1000th episode, which spoiler alert, that's going to be my recommendation at the end of the show uh, about the patent troll and the patent troll made sure that, that, that they filed their complaint in Texas because it was historically where they assessed the battles. They ultimately lost. I fear like this is the same thing for Spotify. They went to the EU because they knew doing it in the United States wasn't going to get them very far. Most of the people that are using these devices, I shouldn't say most, I don't have the data, but I would assume, because we're speaking from an American perspective, that the United States probably is where this is going to have the most effect on the user base. Again, I fear like, well, they went to the EU because they thought they could be more successful there. Perhaps they will, but ultimately... It's Apple's platform. Like, I just can't, that's the thing that I just, uh, that I can't get past for me where everything becomes black and white in this whole thing is it's Apple's platform. They can do whatever they want with it. If they decide that they're going to charge 30%, that's what people have accepted over the years. Like, it's not just, oh, we're raising our, our tax to 30%. It's been 30% since day one and hasn't changed. Now, yes, Perhaps Apple has seen what has been successful on their platform and said, oh, well, we'll just make that product and we'll offer it to our users. And of course, there's no tax on our base because we are we own the platform, we own the product. Um, perhaps that does give them an unfair competitive advantage. Maybe there needs to be some way of splitting that up. But again, ultimately what happens? So Apple goes, okay, fine. Apple Music is now its own entity versus the iPhone. Fine. We're still owned by the same parent company. All it is is creative, you know, accounting at the end of the day. So 30% of the profits from this particular division of the parent company is going now to the other. It's 
it becomes just creative accounting and ultimately it's a pyrrhic victory for spotify i i think probably best case scenario that's what we're going to see is a pyrrhic victory for spotify they they've gone in they've rattled their saber and said look you're not you know we we don't need to you know stand by this for much longer but in the end you're still going to have to stand by it and apple ends up really winning out in the long run will it suck for the consumer absolutely because then because <laughs> then it'll be well spotify you made this big move what are you going to do next are you going to continue to pay 30 percent, or are you going to take your ball and go home if they decide to take their ball and go home then yes people that buy iphones are going to be really disappointed because they're not going to be able to have I don't own an iphone though <laughs> most people own an android that's very true. That's very true. So interestingly, Apple swung back. Apple posted in their own newsroom on their site uh, and uh, gave a, a lengthy response um, to basically every point. Specifically, though, they referenced the idea that they had blocked Spotify updates. They referenced particular rules that that Spotify had broken in those particular app updates and the reasons they were rejected. Um, I mean, they had a justification for everything, Jay. They also talked about all of the different ways you can build an app on their platform, make money from it, and not pay Apple anything. In particular, one they focused on was ads, which is a model that Spotify uses. Spotify has audio ads in their app for anyone who is not a, a premium user and those ads the money that they make from them not a dime not any penny of it goes to apple nor does apple want any of it as they said in this press release and so that's an example of how many many people uh, apple says a full 84 percent of the apps in the app store pay nothing to apple when you download or use the app that's that's by design in their regard. As a matter of fact, as somebody who uses the App Store a lot, I would argue that some of that is bad for the app ecosystem in that it, it sort of fosters crap apps. It fosters these apps that are freemium and, and have a lot of in-app purchases or uh, have a ton of ads which you don't want um, or, or limited in functionality in some way where I would just like to pay once and use the thing. I'd like to pay a reasonable amount of money and just get uh, access to the application. Um Anyway, Apple swung back hard at this, and I think they will do so in court as well. They will spend a lot of money um, trying to fight Spotify on the particulars on this. Long term, this is going to change. Spotify, is, as somebody who follows the app, uh, the Apple world very closely, this is not the only um, sort of current argument with their 30% cut. That piece of things is going to change. How does that affect the podcasting world? I don't think very much, Jay. I don't think very much at all. I don't think you're like talking about with the breakup of of music, uh, Apple Music from the corporation at large is possible in the future. I don't think that's likely. Uh, Rob Walsh did mention there is a big Apple event coming up next week where they're mostly going to be talking about streaming video. I think Apple's got a new video platform that's coming or a new video service that's coming, a new news service as well. But one of the things that may come out of that is on the Mac side, we may now get a breakup of the iTunes application. So we may actually get a podcast app and a music app and a video app sometime over the next year. But again, that affects podcasters in a very small way. Basically, the experience that we have on our phones and our iPads will be closer to what we're getting on our desktops now. But but again, that's not really going to affect the industry as a whole. Um, I do think, though, that 
Spotify swinging like this may cause Apple to decide to get more active in our space in particular, Jay, as we have been suggesting they should over the last few weeks and months. If you look at the big moves that Spotify has made recently, if Apple wanted to swing back in a way that could not be construed as legally questionable, <laughs> taking a big step into podcasting when when Spotify is clearly building podcasting into their future revenue projections would be a nice way to swing back. It would be nice. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. I guess that's. I'm at that point now with Apple where, you know, they've been given they've they've had enough years in this space. And don't forget, Apple makes zero dollars from podcasting. Zero. They do this out of the kindness of their heart. They do this because <laughs> Stephen Jobs thought podcasting was something that needed to be in existence in 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 the in the world it needed to have a place to live and he decided that this was going to be the place that it was going to live but apple makes 0 dollars from podcasting if apple wanted to make dollars from podcasting they easily could we've talked about it we gave them a very bad by the way equation as i did some more math i didn't re actually redo the equation but i realized that i went about the equation all wrong and some of that we'll discuss a little bit later with some of the other news stories. But essentially, Apple could make millions of dollars off of podcasting, and they don't. If they want to, they can. It's there. It'll be easy for them to do. The question is, will they do it? Will this spurn it? Who knows? Hopefully, maybe it could. You know, The quicker that I think Apple gets into podcasting and actually has you know, something in it where where it's in their best interests to be more involved in this space because they're making a revenue stream from it, uh, I think will be in the best, will be all for the best for podcasting as a whole because that's when Apple will start bringing you know, new innovation. They're, they'll be inspired to want to provide better tools and, and marketing and discovery for podcasts because it'll be in their best interests in the long run. Yes, Exactly. I'm 100% I'm with that. Um, Jay, let's move to the next story. Uh, our good friends at Gimlet Media have had a labor issue. <laughs> uh, the 83-person staff of Gimlet Media. There are Media. good friends? When, when oh, did well, we, yeah, when we become good friends with them? <laughs> it's such a small industry, Jay. We're, we're all good friends here. It's a family, right? Oh, that's um, me and Nick, opposite sides of the Thanksgiving table. I was about to say, I can't wait for that Thanksgiving dinner. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Uh, the 83-person staff of Gimlet Media, a podcasting startup acquired by music streaming service Spotify recently for $230 million in February. Uh, the 83-person staff is unionizing with the Writers Guild of America. Interestingly, oh I literally just listened to the latest episode of The Feed with Rob Walsh and Elsie Escobar. And Elsie had, I think, which is the best take on this. She said simply, Gimlet comes from the world of Hollywood. They run their company like a Hollywood creative studio. They run their shows like Hollywood shows. Their staffs are like Hollywood staffs. And why wouldn't they unionize? Of course, it makes perfect sense based on the way that their business is run. And in particular, based on the fact that they are now this small little creative sect in the middle of this giant tech corporation. They, You would very much want to protect 
your way of doing business and your way of creating and also your own jobs and livelihoods, right? Of course, it makes perfect sense. What does this mean for the industry as a whole? Basically nothing. <laughs> the Gimlet is like this much, they're this little bitty portion of a giant, you know, multi-tentacled beast that is the podcast industry. And it turns out as we saw in the Edison report over the last couple of weeks, that that multi-tentacled beast that we all love so much is actually very small in comparison to what it'll be someday. Like the behemoth that we're growing into is uh, much larger than we can even begin to imagine now. So this is one tiny little pebble thrown in the pond. It will definitely have ripples among companies like Gimlet. I'm thinking very specifically of all of the uh, How Stuff Works folks within iHeartRadio, right? I would very, if I'm the How Stuff Works folks, I would have been doing this yesterday. I would have already done it if I was in the middle of iHeartRadio. I'd be working hard to find my way to to lock some stuff down in the middle of Cumulus or, or Clear Channel or whoever they used to be. Those companies are notorious for destroying creativity. So if How Stuff Works guys got a good thing going, they need to hang on to it in the middle of that. Um, but again, does it affect you, Jay? I don't think it affects you almost at all. Does it affect me very little? Does it affect my clients? Almost not at all. Does it affect the average hobbyist podcaster? Zero. It affects me in that I still very much would love to work for one of these companies. By the way, I'm still available at the Real Pod Vader on Twitter. Next fin up at gmail.com. Probably the easiest way to get in touch with me via email. Uh, I would give away my phone number, but no, nah, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> That's how it affects me. Uh, and and this is, again, my own personal viewpoint on this is I think unions had their time in place. There was a reason why unions were created, if you go back in history, and they were a necessary thing back in the day. I do not, in this day and age, with the way that everything is legal the way that the court systems are set up that unions are a necessity to me unions are a waste of money and it is i guess it does make it a way for people to collectively bargain but you have to understand depending on your position on the ladder on the job ladder who is it going to ultimately benefit and usually the unions only benefit those that are at the top of the ladder not at the bottom of the ladder it's just, that's my own personal viewpoint that's my negative viewpoint i don't believe in unions the, you mentioned that this is just a tiny pebble that's going to be thrown into the big pond i disagree i think this is the tiny pebble that gets thrown on the rock slide because this isn't just it's not going to just affect spotify there's a number of different companies that are going to start going through this. One of the things that uh, I've read about Spotify is that they very much want to be considered a tech company. However, Gimlet is very much a content company. Uh, and I've experienced this, this sort of mishmash of tech and content at other companies where it's like, well, we're a tech company, but we have this content arm and we don't really know how the content side of things work. That's why we have you here and... Uh, but we work as a tech company. And if there is a union for the content side of things at Spotify, there's going to have to be a union for the tech side of things. And let me just tell you something. In this day and age where we are a global economy, I know that there are tech companies out there that specifically do not hire American coders because you can get the same work, the same level of work from a coder in South America for about a third of the price. Um, 
and that's again where a lot of this comes from those people are going to start uh looking to unionize and get fairer wages and you know understanding that you know where is spotify legally located well currently spotify is a swedish company uh, but most of their business again is done in the united states and now you have well what are the swedish laws about this what are the american it become ooh the global economy my friend it's it's a much larger problem than we're going to be able to solve here but at the end of the day you're right for the independent podcaster this has little to no effect for you whatsoever for not even the, in the long term not even in the long term for the corporate podcaster and we're, and we're going to talk about a couple of them uh, because it's the end of Q1 and earnings are being reported it's going to have a little bigger of effect because just you know it only takes a few people to start getting that message and like, hey, you know, we just learned about this thing called called unions in our history civics class. And wouldn't it, we millennials, we need this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so driven by the millennials. It really is. No, okay, but no, let me but let me tell you who it is. Honestly, Jay, like it's for you and me. Like you're 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 sitting there out of a company not having that corporate job there was a time i think you're right in in the middle uh, and the end of the 20th century where unions maybe weren't like what was their usefulness and and maybe it was a little lost in the current economy and the economy that we are facing where effectively everyone is a contractor in one form or another i think unions are imperative actually because they will set the standards for what is labor worth? What are what are what are working hours? Jay, what are holidays? You know, how as a contractor, how do I even begin to develop I'm, look, I'm a small business owner so it's different. But for my independent workers that I might work with remotely or wherever around the world, like there does need to be standard labor practices that they can count on. So I I understand the move for that. Um but again, it, it's it's not going to affect the average person that's doing a Star Wars podcast. You're doing your poker podcast. You're doing your podcast with your buddy, a comedy show, your fantasy football show, whatever it might be. Even the small business owner, like my client, small businesses and brands that are that are uh, podcasting, using podcasting as promotional tool, as a top of content funnel, et cetera, et cetera. This matters not at all. And it's not going to change the space as a whole. It is going to change this top of the industry. Here's the interesting thing, Jay, and let's move to that next story that you got linked there. And by the way, folks, go and look at our show notes. There's a, a ton of, I've never done show notes properly in my life as a podcaster, <laughs> but I'm doing a pretty good job on these always listening uh, show notes lately. Go check out these links and follow up if if you want sort of a digest of some of the most important stories in podcasting or the ones that are most interesting anyway. Maybe they're always not uh, long-lasting effects, but they are interesting. Nick Qua, I referenced him earlier, me and Nick sitting across the Thanksgiving table together. I I don't <laughs> enjoy Nick's take on the industry generally. He Nick Nick Qua is the, the founder of Hot Pod, uh, and it is a good newsletter for what it is. My problem is that he focuses on a very specific sector. He will tell you he is not interested in the independent podcaster, but he speaks in these certainties and declarative statements about the podcasting industry and what he means is my little section of the podcasting industry and that bothers me but uh, his takes about that section of the podcasting industry are generally pretty good uh, he was on cnn why was he on cnn jay because cnn says there's big money in podcasting look man like this has happened how many times that that the mainstream news has decided that podcasting is interesting again our rebirth of podcasting but 
we did mention with this Gimlet purchase by Spotify, it is exponentially larger than any other acquisition that's taken place in the podcasting industry before. The largest one before was the How Stuff Works folks, and it was like 50 million versus 230 or so. This is big money. There's a reason more people are taking notice. Um, what does it mean for the industry? And, and what did you think of, uh, of Nick's take on this? Well, Nick has reached out to you because he's got a very large voice and he does speak in a way that makes it seem like he's speaking about the entire podcasting industry when you're right. He's really only focused on one particular sector of the industry. And you could hear it in the interview uh, that he did um, on the uh, business podcast. It was a CNN's podcast called Reliable Sources uh, with Brian uh, Stelter. And Brian... You, you could tell in the interview had a very general overview of what podcasting was because there were some things that, I mean, we've addressed as, a, as an industry long before this interview uh, that, that, that Brian was asking Nick about. And to me, Nick's take right now is he doesn't really have one. He's just, he's eyes wide open. He's got his popcorn and he's watching. He's like, this is fascinating how this is all going to shape up. Cause if this happens, then maybe this happens. And then if this happens, maybe this happens, except he doesn't go into it. Like we do where we talk about, well, you know, perhaps Spotify, you know, perhaps <laughs> Apple dissects into different companies. Like he doesn't go into that type of specific specifics about what possibly could happen if Gimlet is allowed to unionize. Uh, that said, we have seen, uh, it, and I'm, Elsie mentioned the Hollywood thing, and it's a it's very apropos. It, it it fits as as a simile, but really, Gimlet came out of the public media world, and you can see WNYC has gone to unionize. They have seen the public radio sector start to move towards this unionization, and that's sort of where I think they got the impetus to to do to do this at Gimlet. You know, we'll we'll see what it ultimately does, but. The idea of a union is supposed to be to work in the best interests of the worker. Uh, and they specifically have mentioned that they're looking for more transparency, transparency about job descriptions and uh, moving up the job ladder and, and things of that nature. You know, I've always just been, you know, if you do your job and you do it at a, at a level, you're going to move up the ladder no matter what. Although here I am unemployed, so what do I know? Well, firing is one of the other things, Jay. That's one of the things I think back on um, one of our biggest downloaded episodes for always listening is uh, an episode where Josh and I discussed the breakup of the mystery show, uh, Starly Kine and Gimlet. That was acrimonious on both sides. They both sort of aired their grievances after the fact, and both of them felt like the other hadn't lived up to their you know end of the bargain so to speak and both of them felt like they were very much the righteous party etc cetera, etc cetera. and i i do think that clarity on when is appropriate to terminate a, a relationship or to terminate a a uh, an employment um would be nice and i think that's one of the big things that the the unions might bring so that i i agree nick and i are simpatico look at that i like to (laughs) pat people on the back nick and i are together on unions for this industry look at that (laughs) well you know uh Uh, broken clock is right twice a day let's let's talk about something that's a little bit more um fun to talk about not necessarily as contentious um 
Tom Webster. We we know how much we, I love him. Everybody loves Tom Webster. Love Tom Webster. I was actually going to recommend his podcast, and then uh, on the on the podcast that just got released, he mentioned that he's leaving the podcast. Oh. <laughs> but, but listen, hey, it's a podcast, so you can go back and check out the archive of of Tom Webster on on his show. But anyway, Tom was uh, interviewed by the guys over at uh, Pacific Content, talking about some of the takeaways from the share of ear, and there were a couple of things that that we didn't mention that that Tom brought up. Uh, that I thought would be some good content here for us. And particularly, one of the things that was pointed out was YouTube for podcasting. Uh, and Tom mentions that he thinks it's a sneaky way to distribute content, especially for the younger demo. The weekly YouTube music usage, 12 to 34, is 70%. And it really comes down to the recommendation algorithm YouTube can offer you. So, for instance, Spotify has got a program on right now that's kind of a history of the clash. If I'm watching Clash videos on YouTube and that gets recommended to me, I'm on that. And I thought that was an interesting point because we've we've seen podcasters ask about YouTube all the time. And generally, my point is you're an audio program trying to promote yourself on a video platform. People aren't going to listen to you for that. Tom is saying no. The younger generation isn't even necessarily watching these videos. They're listening to the music. They're more than happy to listen to an audio program that happens to be on YouTube. And YouTube's recommendation algorithm will actually point them to your podcast. And hey, maybe, you know, right now YouTube numbers aren't being monetized. There's no way to really monetize that unless you're in the YouTube world and you and you're using YouTube's ad solutions. But Maybe there's something there. Maybe you get that audience to come off of YouTube and subscribe to your show on all the other podcast platforms. I don't know. I thought it was a. I thought it was an interesting take, and certainly one to take note of. Well, the other thing, Jay, that would work there is uh, direct sponsorship, a direct call to action sponsorship. So, so if you're saying, "Hey, go to Squarespace and use my." trial code or whatever uh and you uh, i think in youtube you would have to i think there's a checkbox where you have to say this is include sponsored content or something like that but i believe you would still be able to include that piece of the audio i don't think it would block off i think you just have to mark it as such uh well i mean i know there has to be some way to do that because i know lots of youtube channels that use not just YouTube advertising, but actual embedded advertising, you know, direct sponsorship within their content. You know, they get halfway through the ad and then they'll say, and this video is brought to you by Casper mattresses or whatever. And, um, those direct call to actions, as long as you have like a, a promo code or something, those would work even across mediums. It wouldn't work if you're using, like we've talked about in the past, somebody like VoxNest with dynamic ad insertion. Those ads don't go to the YouTube version that you're publishing. The, the, the direct response ads, though, are still on a CPM basis. And the numbers that you see on YouTube, you're not going to be paid for those. You might you need a CPA where you're going to get paid by the acquisition. So every person that goes and uses the the code, you get paid for that particular person. A CPM basis, you're not going to be able to use your YouTube numbers um, combined with your regular podcast listening numbers to charge a higher CPM, for instance, or get a a higher CPM for those. I gotcha. I gotcha. The, the, you mentioned the younger demographics though, using YouTube in this way. It's not just younger demographics. I've got a lot of friends that are not primarily podcast listeners or wouldn't consider themselves podcast listeners, but they're heavy, heavy YouTube users. They do it during the day while they're at work in a minimized browser tab 
with headphones and mm. they're listening to YouTube videos and they love the algorithm that will continue to serve them new content that they're probably going to like, even if they don't necessarily click into it or they can set up a queue or a playlist or something and, and just rock through it. But yeah, I know a lot of people that listen to even my own content that way through YouTube, but never actually look at whatever's on the screen at all. It's interesting. The other, uh, the other point that um, Tom was asked by Steve over at Pacific Content was, what can podcasters do right now to grow in-car listening? Podcasting right now is second to last in terms of sources uh, that are used most by people in the car. Radio is still number one. It is declining, but it is a very small decline. It's like 1% year over year. Podcasting has grown and is higher than Sirius XM, uh, but there's definitely room for more growth uh, in that regard. Tom mentioned something that I think is super, super interesting. Uh, how long should my podcast be? A very, very common question by many podcasters. Well, if you want to reach listeners in the car, his advice would be to think about how long that commute is. By the way, the average American commute is 22 minutes long. What are people's needs during that commute? How much attention people will be able to pay to a podcast while they're driving? Again, if you think about a radio morning show, you can dip in and dip out of that. If I'm telling a really intricate story that requires detailed attention, my morning commute's not where I'm going to consume that. I'll find some other place. So again, this comes down to knowing who your audience is, the story that you're going to tell that audience, and understand the environment that that audience is in while you're telling that story. And the, and the environment that the commuter is in is going to be much different than the environment that that worker is sitting at his desk listening to YouTube videos. So here's the thing that is interesting to me, Jay. If you had asked me this question, if you had asked me about YouTube and podcasting uh, a year and a half ago, definitely two years ago, I would have said that YouTube Red is the future of Google's take on podcasting. I thought very specifically they were going to, because as soon as they brought out their premium product, the first part of that is that you could do no ads, right? They You skip most of the ads or all of the ads, basically, if you pay for YouTube Red. But the other thing was you could keep playing videos in the background after you locked your screen. You could close your device and put it in your pocket, and you could continue to listen to the video that you were playing. That was one of the features of YouTube Red. And I immediately said, that is the reason why they haven't done more with Google Play Podcasts. They've stalled on Google Play Podcasts because they're working something in the background to push all of us podcasters to YouTube where they already have a monetization model for us, right? And if you think about it, there is no easier track for Google to take advantage of this money tree we've been talking about that Spotify is attempting to build right now that Apple could turn on in, in a very short order if they wanted to. Google's path to that, their most direct path, is through YouTube. They already have the platform. You could do it both on the free version and then you have a, a, the access to the premium model where they could effectively eat up a bunch of the Patreon business as well by directing some of that sponsorship directly to you and your channel. Anyway, I, I thought that's where they were going. Now we have this whole separate initiative from them through Google Podcasts, which doesn't seem to have any direct path to monetization. And yet they have talked a few times about cataloging the world's audio, 
right? And they've talked a little bit about potentially the future of transcription and adding in auto transcription to these things so they could point you to specific content. If they did that, they've got this other product you might have heard of and we've discussed in the past, Jay, called AdSense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would work pretty well to bolt onto that version of things. So, I don't know. I feel like this is another example of like Google's taken three or four or five or six or seven swings at this. None of them have ever lasted. Um, I wonder if Google Podcasts will sort of wither on the vine as well. As well, But um, I don't know. I'm bummed that they didn't take that what was a clear path in my mind through YouTube to make this thing happen. More on the uh, length of a podcast. I know Rob Walsh has been very bullish on this. And has once again mentioned that the myth of the ideal length of an episode is 22 minutes. 22 minutes is the average of the American car commute. Uh, Looking at the iTunes top 200 episodes uh, from February 26th, the average length is 67 minutes of those top 200 episodes. The median is 55 minutes. Uh, Only 6.6% of those top 200 are 22 minutes or shorter. And just one of those is an indie podcast. 75% of them are 40 minutes or longer. And 11.2% are 120 minutes or longer. To me, this doesn't tell you how long your podcast should be. As, As a consultant, as someone that is going to provide you with my best advice to you about how long your podcast should be, I'm never, ever going to tell you, oh, you should make a Joe Rogan four-hour-long, twice-a-week podcast episode. I am never going to recommend that to you. What I'm going to tell you is you need to know your audience. You need to know how your audience is going to consume your podcast, and you need to take all of that into consideration as you're telling your story. Your story may take longer than 22 minutes to, to say, so don't limit yourself to 22 minutes. Don't limit yourself to 60 minutes. But understand that if a majority of your audience is listening to work, then think of how you're telling that story in 22-minute increments. So maybe at that 22-minute mark, there's a transition in the story so that that person who has just arrived at work can hit the pause button, that lovely pause button that we always forget about. Hit the pause button and then come back to your story when they're out of work and listen to you on the way home. And if your story is going longer than 44 minutes, then again, understand that perhaps at that 40-minute mark, you've got another transition so that, again, they can hit the pause button and come back to you the next day. And then again, understand that the podcast consumer is listening to seven podcasts a week. And the longer you make your podcast, the harder it is for you to get into that seven podcasts a week. So you got to take all of this into account when it comes to launching a brand new podcast. Once you're launched, your audience will dictate to you what is too much, what is too little. They're going to, and most audiences are going to want more. And in some instances, you got to sort of let them want more to continue to drive interest in your, in your show. Never limit yourself to any sort of time. Just tell your story. As long as it takes to tell your story, tell your story. And then understand how you're telling that story and what effects it has on your audience in the environment that they're listening to it. So, Jay, I listened to a great episode recently of a show called Dead Ideas that was about the history of history podcasting. 
Okay, <laughs> it's a pretty pretty meta show there. But uh, it was it was a really really good episode. The the host interviewed a lot of different history podcasters and detailed basically the evolution of that particular genre. But one of the things that he covered was the birth of the super long form deep dive podcast and he highlighted a couple of different shows but one of them of course being dan carlin with hardcore history right it's what we all we, you know he comes out with a five and a half hour episode once every six months or whatever when he gets around to it and he tells you i wish i could put them out more often i wish i could make them shorter i, t- I tell as succinct a story as i can and i i produce as much content as quickly as i can um but the interesting thing to me about the history of that show, it didn't start that way. I mean, that's what he is known for. But the first episode, I think, was like 10 minutes long, maybe. Like it was a, and he, it, and it was still his flavor, but he was very specifically trying to do something well. And in the beginning, he could do this well and put it out. And he did that as well as he could. And when he began to tell stories, the audience told him, we want more and we want more in-depth and we want more background and we want more context and we want more of the... You and I have talked before about how he comes into a story sideways. He puts you in the moment and how compelling that is. The audience said, we want more of that. We want you to put us in the moment by relating it to a modern narrative that we can um, you know, wrap our minds around. Anyway, when he did that, the show turned into an hour. He apologized, by the way, the first time they went over an hour. So sorry that we couldn't get this thing tighter, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now he's four and a half and five hours long. So my point is, even if you are the next Dan Carlin, (laughs) your hardcore history should not start out with four and a half hour episodes. Joe Rogan didn't start out that way either, right? It's an evolution of the show. Same thing with WTF. WTF a a lot of times goes two hours or almost two hours on an episode, but they didn't start that way either. Um, So when you're starting out, when when you're an early podcaster, or even when you're just trying to continue and you're trying to roll into that second year and the third year and trying to make this thing a real part of your life, not just a thing you did once upon a time, Worry about consistency. Worry about how it fits into your life and your business and everything else that you have going on less than what the people at the top of the charts are doing. We are not competing with the Joe Rogans and the Mark Marins of the world. We are competing with ourselves. We are growing our own audience and our own listener base. There is a group of people that cannot wait to hear you. Most of them listen to zero podcasts today. Right, Jay? Like over the course of of podcasting history, the people that will find you and love you and your shows don't even listen to our space yet at all. So, um, yeah, that's my position on content. You make a show as uh, (laughs) – I made this – I'll make it again. It's my father's joke. I'll blame it on my dad. A podcast should be uh, like a skirt, long enough to cover the subject and short enough to be interesting. Right? Yep. (laughs) Jay's Jay's not going to second that one. Just to highlight the exact opposite uh, of this, uh, there's a gentleman named Luke Grant from uh, Sky News or or Sky over in the UK who has created the One Word podcast. (laughs) Literally, the (laughs) podcast is just one word. That's it. Um, We'll see how long that lasts. But uh, (laughs) he feels that to tell his story, it requires just one word. So uh, if you want to go and download that, uh, feel free. 
Uh, Jay, we've got a couple of other stories we could get to here, but why don't we, um, why don't we kick those off to next week and let's wrap it up on uh, podcast length. You got one more thing you want to get to before well, we do I just, our currently I just want to say, I just want to say, because we did tease that the earnings reports are coming out and I just want to uh, yeah. explain that we are running up. Unfortunately for us, we, we have a time limit due to my own constraints and previous engagements. So we, we can definitely push those earnings off till next week. Cause we'll probably have more quite honestly. Yeah. It tis the season. Yeah, but it is. Well, and uh, the other thing is we'll have the potential Apple news to react to as well. That's going to happen Monday next week, the Apple event. So uh, if there is a change in uh, Apple uh, iTunes and, and the Apple podcast app, we'll know that for next uh, Tuesday. So uh, I would just say that overwhelmingly the news is positive in terms of podcasting and the amount of revenue that people are 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 making. All right. Currently listening to. Uh, we should make a sounder for this because you know that's what we podcasters do. I like okay, yeah, I'll get a sound. You know, well, I can. I've got something. this beatbox. I, I've got this beatbox thing that I bought the other day for a client, and then they didn't want it, and I'm desperate to use it somewhere. No, you might get a right. beatbox in this somewhere. All right, that there sounds you go. good. All right, what are we currently listening to, Jay? I, this is a show that requires absolutely no promotion. Uh, WTF, Mark Marin, But he just released his 1,000th episode, and it, he did it with his producer, Brendan McDonald. And they basically went through the entire history of their podcast and how it sits in the history of podcasting. Uh, so you can go and learn how the old cr- curmudgeons like me <laughs> got started and why we're so fiercely passionate about protecting the podcasting space. And they go through all the trials and tribulations that they had in, in just getting their podcast started, how to get it started, where they were learning how to get it started, why, you know, basically back in the day, they were able to call up anybody and be like, hey, what are you doing that's working? Great. We're going we're gonna to start doing that on our show too. That's fantastic. Thanks. And this was before mid-roll existed. You know, they launched before that. Uh, and, and it's a very interesting listen. They talk about the podcasting uh, troll and that court case and how if that had been successful, it would have changed everything that we know about podcasting and would have ended their show. They specifically said that if it had if they had been one of them that were named in the lawsuit, they it would have ended their show. They wouldn't have been able to do it. So, um, you know, we owe a lot to Adam Carolla and the EFF uh, for fighting that particular lawsuit and um, and winning. Uh, that that is they went through a whole series of appeals and it was officially over in may of 2018 uh so that we no longer have to worry about uh any sort of podcasting trolls coming in and trying to claim that they own podcasting but it should be required listening for any podcaster to go and listen to the 1000th episode of wtf uh and i think you will learn if you're a new podcaster or you're thinking about podcasting you're going to learn a lot about the space and if you're an old podcaster uh, who's been involved in podcasting for quite some time, I think you're going to be reminded about what it took for us to get to this point today. One of my favorite parts of that episode, and I hope literally everyone in podcasting listens to it. I'm going to try to get all of my clients to listen to it for one thing. Uh, one of the things that comes out in that is that WTF is a heavily edited show. Brendan works a lot after the fact on podcasting polishing and producing the content that you actually hear. WTF is 
precisely one of the ones that people will use as an example of why they love podcasting and how it's a wide open, natural, free flowing conversation. And it's not cut and edited like NPR. And I'm like, you people don't understand. First of all, honestly, Joe Rogan's is massaged as well. If you think that anyone with a professional staff isn't taking advantage of that staff to produce and edit and cut some... Jay, how many podcasts did you produce on a daily basis when you were working with ESPN? Uh, up to eight at one point. And all of those were with professional broadcasters who are used to being on television, live on the air on a regular basis generally, right? Or they were secondary personalities who yeah, did yeah. spots. But all of them were recorded with that live-to-tape feel, right? Right. And yet, did you cut stuff out when people said the wrong word, when they called oh. somebody's mama out, when they made an inappropriate joke, when someone coughs it's or why drops I'm the Pot coffee Vader. mug? Yes! That's why they like, call me Pod Vader. I'm evil. I'm the comedy goalie. I was the guy that was protecting them and the ESPN brand from anything that they might have said that was just a slight bit off color that probably, you know, we can laugh about, you know, behind closed doors. But, you know, in a public sense, you probably could open up ESPN to a lawsuit that we don't want to deal with. Here's an in this episode that you're listening to, Jay. There was a moment when you mentioned a company. We were talking about unionization. You mentioned a company and then said, "I don't think that's true. I think I'm wrong on that. That won't happen in the actual podcast. I'll just take that out altogether." Uh, there are moments where we have technical issues and your feed drops out for a second. I can tighten those things up. It coughs, overtalks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It still sounds like a free flowing conversation because the people that are producing it are professionals. But again, that doesn't mean that it's not edited. <laughs> I just I loved that moment, and it's one of those things I want to like tattoo on my forehead and show everyone when they say i like free-flowing natural conversations By you the don't way, know I, what a free-flowing natural conversation is you don't on average brendan said he spends three hours that's the average yeah. that he spends on each episode of mark Mar and marin's show is typically right around 60 90 at the most so yeah. uh it's a uh, yeah, it's a job, folks. It's a job. Yeah. So here is uh, here's my currently listening. Uh, speaking of it being a job, uh, I am listening to a new show from Seth Godin. I'm not a huge productivity guy. I'm not a huge uh, self help guy. I don't read a lot of you know entrepreneur books or anything like that. Every now and again, though, I find something that sort of speaks to me. Um, Seth Godin's got a show called Akimbo. It is not new. You can find it. The links in the show notes, but it's akimbo.me. It's available in all of the podcast apps as well. Uh, I, it was suggested to me that I start from the beginning and check it out from there, and I have. I'm only like three or four episodes deep now. But the way that he begins the the series in particular was very compelling to me. He talks about the falseness of the grand opening and the fact that we've all been taught that we have to have this giant launch and yet, in particular, in the modern economy, in a global economy where we're all selling to everyone in the world across time and space. And we're unionizing. <laughs> and we're unionizing. Yeah, and we're unionizing, too. In this, in this global economy, a large launch is antithetical, actually, to success in many ways. And it sets most of us up for failure. Whereas if we can grow small and build out from that uh, that fan base, that small fan base, um, in one of the early episodes, he focuses on you know the idea of a thousand true fans and the economies of that and how that works. Th those ideas, I think, are very applicable to podcasting, even the indie podcaster, uh, particularly if you have a goal of someday making this your business or a big part of your 
your business and getting out of the nine to five, whatever your daily grind is, uh, I think this is a good show for you. Check out Akimbo by Seth Godin and start from the very beginning. I'm really, really enjoying that, Jay. That sounds like something I should be listening to. So I was I'm going to say, to have it to, might be. <laughs> I'm going to have to give it a listen. Uh, but uh, very interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Uh, folks, there are always interesting things going on in our space. That is the nature of being at an industry at the very beginning. And if you want to keep up with it, uh, you can subscribe to this show. And uh, if you know somebody else who might benefit from the news and commentary that we bring you, we'd love for you to share the show with them as well. You can find us anywhere you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we'll be back next week. We'll talk about earnings. We'll probably talk about the Apple event a little bit. And of course, we'll have some more great podcast suggestions for you until we see you again or talk to you again uh, we've been your hosts i'm joel facebook.com slash podvader page i'm jay and we are always listening Always Listening is a proud member of the Two Guys and a Rogue Network. You can find all our reviews by searching Always Listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio. Also, you can find us anytime at alwayslisteningpod.com or email us at alwayslisteningpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Enough by Bethany Raber. Two guys and a rogue. I'm one guy. I'm the other. And this is The Network.